So the pain in the shoulder started, the seasickness kicked in again, so I was struggling to take on food. At one point I took some and I vomited straight away. So we, he had to try and quickly try and give me something else to hopefully keep it down. Then at one point he was like, you haven't had enough, you need to eat some more. I said, I'm done. And he was like, just have a little bit more. So he gave me the food back again to eat. I literally, just like a toddler would, took a bite, threw it back at him and moved away from the boat. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> This is The Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. In today's episode, we deep dive literally into everything swimming and triathlons with coach and Women for Tri ambassador Melina Timpson Katchis. Having only recently completed the mind boggling 30 kilometers Ultra Oceanman Kalamata Greece open water swim, the 43 year old triathlete went from being sporty as a teenager to giving it up for years due to work and family commitments before returning to triathlons at the age of 36. With a background in sport and exercise science, Melina first applied her knowledge to stay fit, but then moved into helping others achieve their try goals when she moved to Dubai. At the same time, she's been advocating for more inclusion and diversity within the athlete community through her role as a Women for Try ambassador. She also took part in leading the first triathlon training camp for women in Saudi Arabia earlier this year. Melina's list of achievements is long. Completing the Ironman Distance Challenge Roth in Germany, qualifying for and finishing the Ironman 70.3 World Championship in 2019, several other tri-challenges along the way, and now the Ultra Ocean Man, with more to come. In our no-holds-barred chat with Melina, she opens up about her journey into tries, her bounce back after long COVID, and how she returned from the brink of almost giving up in a race, and her role in furthering women's participation in sport. Let's get into it. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. No, we're so excited <laughs> to have you so soon after Ocean Man Greece, which was yes. what, two days ago from yes. the time we're recording yeah. this. And for people to know who are listening, that's a 30 kilometer swim. Yep. Where was it in Greece? Uh, it was in Kalamata Bay. It was a point, point to point uh, swim. So we were um, driven out by boat, um, away from the finish line, asked to jump off and basically swim back. Wow. 30 kilometers. And you did that a couple of days ago. How are you feeling? Quite tired still, if I'm honest, hasn't quite sunk in. Thankfully I didn't sink. So that's a good thing. (laughs) I think I'm still processing and reflecting the whole experience. Well, we'll go into that in a little bit, but you came forth. Was that correct? And first woman out of the water? Um, second woman out of the water, just in context, there was only five participants, three women, and two guys to sell out an event like that only 15 athletes would sell out the event yeah so they're not massive events but I have to say that the lady that came first out of the water was a 17 year old oh wow (laughs) who actually a 30k swim is a short swim for her (laughs) Um, so it was quite impressive we were talking on the boat ride out to the start line and I just remember thinking you're 17 what was I doing when I was 17 yeah um, and I think we want to go into that (laughs) because you know we dive into this particular feat of yours a little bit later and no pun intended there but you know we know that you've moved in and out of sports yeah. so like you started I think at a as a teenager mm-hmm. so take us back right, to right. that and like tell us how sports came into your life actually 
We are really going a long way back now, <laughs> probably about 30 years back. So the first sport I started actually in a more, I guess, organized, structured fashion was basketball. It's a pretty big sport back in Cyprus where I grew up. It's second football. And I made the school team, junior high. And from there... It was something to do in the afternoons. My parents were quite keen for us to be active. My dad used to play squash and he was the one that taught us both how to swim. And anytime we went on holidays, they were all relatively active. So I started with basketball, started playing for the academy of one of the first division teams over there and just carried it on through school. And then when I was 15, two of my afternoons became free <laughs> and... I wanted something to fill the time, so we decided to try swimming. We had family connections. Cyprus is a small island, so you'll have family connections everywhere. <laughs> yeah, we decided to give swimming a go, and then for two years I did both basketball and swimming. And then in the end, the coaches kind of sat me down and said, time's come, you're going to have to pick right. which sport you want to do, because it was interfering. It was also a bit of a nightmare for my folks, which as a parent now I understand. <laughs> I have three kids and I'm trying to ration their activities <laughs> in terms of me driving them everywhere and the finances to pay for You've them all. always got driver <clears throat> duty as yeah. well, right? Afternoons, that's what it looks like. <laughs> so I decided to stick with swimming. I was really enjoying it. By swimming standards, I was a late starter. 15 is a pretty late to start. So most of the events initially, I was yeah, kind of competing with the I'm, eight, nine-year-olds in terms can, of time. Can I then consider it at the age of 35? <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, we're we're two very, very, very late starters. <laughs> we can discuss in all this my at... sports, I've been a late starter. So yeah. I don't we know. can discuss that after the podcast. Okay. We can sort out times and dates where we can start swim lessons. Okay. So yeah, no, I started kind of focused more on swimming. I kept basketball at school, and then when I was sixteen, seventeen, it would have been my final year at school. That was when triathlon started in Cyprus and I was an 800 meter swimmer so a long distance swimmer for the pool so we kind of decided with my coach just go and do some training and do the race I went and did the race I came I came third at the time my first quite, triathlon remember let's remember Cyprus <laughs> is a small place um and I remember my mum bless my mum was there at the time so triathlon obviously you, you it's it's swim bike run but you start all together and then whoever finishes first is first yeah. So I came out of the water first. Obviously, being a swimmer, that was my strong point. I managed to hang on to the first position on the bike. And then Amazing. usually, with me, it all kind of falls apart on the run. <laughs> so I came third. And I remember when they called us up for the awards, <laughs> my mom actually stood up and just said, but hang on a second, she won two out of three. She needs to be first. <laughs> I was like, okay, thanks, mom, sit down. <laughs> It makes sense, yeah, to be fair. Um, You know, as a 16-year-old, I didn't quite appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah, so I kind of carried on through uni, doing triathlons. I competed in the World University Games for Cyprus. Oh, wow, amazing. Germany and Hungary. Oh, wow, okay. And then, unfortunately, when I was 21, I was out training in the UK and I was hit by a car. Cycling. Um, Yeah, and it was a pretty bad injury on my back. So it took about six or seven months before I was able to start doing anything again. By that point, work started. I'd finished my bachelor's. I started my master's. I was doing my master's part-time. So twice a week, I was traveling up to uni for my lectures. And the other five days, I was working. Mm -hmm. So it just... I never really got back into it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just 
try to keep fit and then kind of honestly life just kind of get in the way yeah. you start work and it seems to be quite a common like it's definitely my story yeah. you know sporty is a youth and yeah. then somehow pressures life. in life, life, gets, life, in life gets in the way and okay. then finding it again in and, your 30s yeah. and so you restarted in your 30s well. um yeah I started age 36 <laughs> when we came to Dubai so I finished my master's. We had two children at the time. Mm. We were living in Aberdeen in Scotland. And that's when my husband first got the offer of expat postings and stuff. So we decided it made sense for me to give up work to help his career. So we initially moved to Malaysia. So we were there for about 18 months. No sport was done there. Lots of travel. Yeah. <laughs> and good times. <laughs> no sport was done there. Maybe a little bit of Bollywood dancing, actually. And that was good oh. fun. <laughs> And then we came to Dubai, we had our third daughter here. And actually, Jeff, my husband, he was the one that once we got here, he got into cycling. Right. I still had my bike. My bike seemed to have traveled everywhere. Yeah, but it just kind of it just didn't, didn't get gathering used. dust. Yeah, it was just there, <laughs> decorative. <laughs> and that was it. And I remember it was August 2015. And we decided we we're going to have a date night. We got a babysitter and like right, what are we going to do? <laughs> and we were kind of past the point of, I couldn't be bothered to just get dressed to go to fancy <laughs> restaurants. Just too much effort. So um, he suggested, well, hang on. Well, how about we go cycling? Go cycling. So at like... Started with the date. Uh, yeah, 8 p.m. We went down to do the stick <laughs> down at Al-Qudra. I remember I absolutely died on that on that ride. But actually that's what was... After that, every weekend morning and maybe twice a week, once I dropped the kids off at school, I would go and ride my bike. And then that summer, a friend of mine, actually, who was supporting me at the swim, he did his first Ironman race in Germany and he did Challenge Roth, which is one of the most famous and all oldest races. So when we met back that September at school, I saw him and I asked him about the race and I said, I want to hear all about the race. Mm -hmm. I knew about Challenge Roth. So one day we dropped off the kids at school and then we went for coffee and then we just stayed chatting about the race until it was time to pick the kids up and I left that day and I put a note in my calendar that on the 6th of December the registration opens for that race for Chandra yeah it was just one of those random things I had no intention of it but I left talking to him and I thought oh, I'm just gonna put it in anyway so I didn't time came I chickened out of registering but then I sent them an email and I said if there's a waiting list, just put my name on it. <laughs> and um, February, I was out having dinner with some girlfriends. My phone buzzed and it was, uh -oh. and it was an email from Challenge Ross saying, congratulations. You got a place. You got a place. And, and I just, oh man, just sat there looking at it. it. And I, I put my phone Did you have down. a drink in hand? <laughs> I, just, I just ignored it at that point. And then the next day, I kind of, I sent a screenshot of the message to, to Oh, Grant it hasn't gone and, away. It's still here. Um, and I said, look what happened yesterday. And he was like, oh, you have to do it. I'm doing it again. <laughs> then I spoke to my husband and he was like, look, if you think you can get ready, because at that point it was 163 days to the race. I had ridden the stick only, so 40 Ks. I started, restarted swimming again, but nothing more than a thousand meters. Mm -hmm. um, and actually the actual day that I'd got the email to say I'd got in to challenge Roth, I went for a run, 3K, 3K. around the block. <sighs> and I had to stop about five times because I was so unfit. But you can't say no to challenge Roth. If you've got a place to challenge Roth, right. you make sure you go. The so. distance is in that race then, just for... Um, sorry, it's a full Ironman 
distance. Okay. It's not the Iron Man brand. Yeah, right. But it's it's, it's under challenge. It's another company, but it's the Iron Distance. So it's 3.8 kilometer canal swim, 180 kilometers on the bike and a marathon run. So you were going from 3K to marathon. From 3K that I couldn't run. <laughs> that I, It was a walk jog. To, and this was in this 150 was days? 160, 163 160. days to oh. go. So... At that point, I was like, oh, go for it. But the condition was with my husband, and rightly so, as long as you can get ready. Mm Because it's it's not the sort of race you can really wing it. Yeah, wing Um, it, yeah. Or cram. And you're allowed, for most Ironman races, you're allowed 17 hours to finish it. But with Challenge Roth, it's a 15 and a half hour cut off. Oh, wow. You're not going halves here with anything. (laughs) No, we're straight in. (laughs) Straight in. Yeah, absolutely. We were were straight in. um, How did it go? How did training go? Like, how did you... Um, did you engage a coach? I did, because even though my background is sports science, so I could have coached myself. Mm-hmm. I'd been out of the work brain for a while. <laughs> and I also, self-coaching is, I find is a bit of a different beast to coach, coaching yeah. other people. And I thought, I can't do this by myself. I need somebody. And interestingly enough, one of my old teammates from uni, we'd lost touch and I randomly came across her when I was shopping for nice cycling kit, which we don't have enough of in Dubai. <laughs> so I was shopping and I don't know if you'd like have heard of Betty Designs. And at the time, I have, yes. yeah, at the time they were sponsoring Leslie. So I was, as I was shopping, I was like, oh my God, that's Leslie. <laughs> so I found her from there and I, I messaged her and I said look this has happened I really need help I can't do this by myself I started working with her she lives in San Diego so Mm -hmm. time zone wasn't favorable but for me coaching isn't just about the training schedule someone gives you it's about the relationship between the two people and because I already knew her granted we'd lost touch it was a lot easier for me to Mm -hmm. say right right this is what I want to do I trust you you know what you're doing just get me there yeah 163 days later you I, were cro- at the I, start crossed, line. I crossed the finish line amazing so, um, yeah how was it the experience actually the whole thing was in the lead up to it it was all pretty exciting in the days running up I was so nervous I was practically catatonic not really speaking to anyone and we went to like look at the run course we drove the bike course and Roth is known as a fast course mm-hmm. um relatively it's, flat um it's the first place that they broke the eight hour mark but, but flat is no you would think it's flat no it's not <laughs> so just to get there and thinking having this expectation that it's a really fast course i'll be fine and then going up this big hill and thinking okay this isn't what i expected but you were also training here so flat yes. and flat flat yeah and flat. completely yeah <laughs> and i'm i'm not whilst you know hatta provides great riding and stuff all my training was al Qudra. the logistics yeah. of going to ride out at hatta for example means means it's an extra two hours out of my day mm, yeah um, and with three kids at home logistics it doesn't really work so no the race started I had a I had a really good swim the bike this was two lap bike so it was 90k loops you have to do twice <laughs> the bike was hard and I lost focus a few times but the crowds at Roth and it's what it's known for it's amazing and they have this one stretch it's called Salalaberg it's this hill short and sharp and you turn the corner and Grant had warned me when you turn around to Salalaberg it's overwhelming because it turns into like the Tour de France where it becomes only one rider and the crowds are just about <laughs> wide enough oh my God. for one bike to get through right. and exactly like he said <laughs> I, and I could hear the crowds and I was like I, I must be close to Salalaberg now and you turn the corner 
and it's just like, oh God. <laughs> and then you become, suddenly you become conscious that whoever's stuck behind me is stuck behind me now because they can't overtake yeah, me. Yeah. And I'm not particularly strong on hills. And then you're going up this tiny stretch and I'll give it to the crowds. They didn't touch, they were very careful yeah, not yeah. to touch you. But you're it like, makes me nervous watching yeah. the Tour de France. But you're like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, just get out of my yeah. way, get out of my way. But um, yeah, that was probably the best bit of the bike. The run's the run. <laughs> I don't um, yeah. It was done. Yeah. I don't, completed it. <laughs> I struggle with the run a lot. I walked a lot of it. So you, you get to the finishing stadium and you come through the first arch, but then you the, the finish line is over there because you still have 300 meters to walk. But the, the crowds were awesome. But it was, if I'm completely honest, there was an element of when I finished... I don't know what I had in mind. Like I had in mind to be like completely depleted and crawling past mm-hmm. the finish line or, but I kind of crossed the line and kind of went, okay, is, is this it? <laughs> Sign up for the next one. <laughs> no, it took a few days. Um, <laughs> but then just all the emotions. And as soon as I came out, I, d- I did the race with two other friends mm-hmm. and they were obviously, they were ahead of me and they were finished and they were waiting for me in the athlete's tent. And as soon as I saw them, it was just tears. Okay. Just I can't believe we've done it. And um, and then a week later, I signed up for the next one. <laughs> Amazing. And and yeah. since then, you've probably done pretty, several. Yeah, pretty much. Since then, that was it. I was back into the sport. I then started doing 70.3s, mm. which is the half Ironman distance. Started engaging in the local triathlon scene. Yeah, and haven't, haven't really looked back since. And everything kind of grew from there. Yeah. I started helping some friends who'd asked me for some help with training. So gradually fell into coaching rather organically, I guess, if that's Mm -hmm. the word, to now having an actual proper job. (laughs) Amazing. Um, And and you mentioned that you're most proud of qualifying for the World Championships in 2019. What happened there? Did you manage to go and... So yeah, that was the Oman race where I got the qualification. So it's the Muscat uh, 70.3. And what do you have to do to get qualified? So the way qualification works with Ironman is every... You compete in your age group. And the Mm -hmm. age groups are in chunks of four or five years. So currently I'm in the 40 to 44 age group. And they have a set number of slots per age group. Okay. Men get more only because there's more men taking part. Now, as part of the Women for Try thing, which we'll talk about later, they're trying to balance out. They want to get to the Mm 50-50. So we have 50% men, 50% women. Mm -hmm. So as part of that, Ironman started offering additional slots for women. So even though there were less women taking part in a race, they would bump up the numbers of slots to get to the World Championships because they were trying to push the number Mm -hmm. up. Okay. So... That year, and usually what we would call the women for try slots, they get distributed to certain races. So not all races get them. They get distributed to certain races kind of based on a region. Mm -hmm. So, for example, the year that I I qualified it with the championships were going to be in Nice. So Europe, Middle East, Africa got most of the extra slots. The year that New Zealand was due to host, never hosted in the end because of COVID, the majority of the slots went to Asia Pacific. Right. Because the reality is, if you live far away, mm, you, you, may not, you may not get to the race. So they don't kind of want to waste the slots. If that's and I guess the, helping that's to right di- right. diversify, right? Because yeah. this is an emerging market. You know, yeah, it's, it's not as established as the US. Or... Yeah. So I was lucky in the sense that in that year, they were in Nice and Oman was one of the 
qualifying races. Okay. I was also lucky that um, most of the ladies that are stronger than me had already qualified at the Bahrain race and the Dubai race that comes before Oman. So once the race is done, you have to attend what they call the slot allocation. Mm -hmm. And then they'll start running through and they say, right, in this age group, there are two slots. They'll go to the first person. Do you want the slot? Yes or no. If that person wants it, they pay there and then to accept the slot. If they don't, it rolls okay to the second and it starts rolling okay and rolling down hence why i had a good race that race but there was an element of luck as well so gradually it rolled down and we were sat down with a group of friends were um, you expecting it no no just i like wasn't because honestly at that a at that at that race i came i came 11th mm -hmm. in my age group so i was like no nah, it's not gonna happen anyway and it starts rolling and it's and you're like is it going to stop? Like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't want to go. Or I already have a slot and blah, blah, blah. And then we're like, who's next? Where am I? Is it, is it me? Is it me? And then the, it was quite funny. The the MC for that race was Paul Kay. Um, he's a very well-known MC on the Ironman circuit. And I met him when I did Holland, when I did Ironman Maastricht. Because, because um, I had this thing at the time. I've grown out of it now. I had this thing at the time. I would always dye my hair bright pink to match my bike. <laughs> So it's kind of hard to miss me, really, on the course. <laughs> and um, and a friend that knows him sent him a message um, the time I was doing the Dutch race and say, just give her an extra shout out when she finishes. And he was like, man, do you know how many athletes are taking part? And he was like, you're not going to miss her, mate. She's got pink hair. <laughs> so um, anyway, it kind of comes to my point. I, I wasn't really paying as much attention because I didn't know the names ahead of me. And then Paul Kay starts with, well, she seems to have grown out of the crazy hair thing and she's got normal hair today. And I was like, he can only be talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> and then he called my name and it was just, just a stood up screaming, ran down. Oh. And he was like, do you want the slot? And I was like, <laughs> yeah. And we hadn't, we already had an agreement with, um, with my husband that if ever I was to qualify, there wasn't going to be it. a conversation of, are you okay if I pay for this? Because it's not cheap. <laughs> It'd be like, I'm doing it and we'll deal with the aftermath yeah. um, later. So, yeah. So you went out to compete in the world yeah. championship. Yeah, in, um, in Nice, which was a, it was quite an experience. It wasn't a race that suited me because effectively we had to climb, we had to climb the Col de Vance. Mm, um, bit hilly down there. <laughs> it, was, it was bad enough going up, but the, the coming down, I'm very nervous descender and there was mm. a few accidents on the course. Oh, wow, okay. Even when I finally relaxed and let go of the brakes a little bit, then I passed the accident and it was like, no, nope, yeah. brakes are coming <laughs> back on. But it was an awesome experience. And the Women for Try, actually, they had, a, um, they had a big event to kind of celebrate all the women that had qualified anyway, but all the women that came via the Women for Try mm -hmm. additional slots in the program, of which I was one of them. And as, as their ambassador, we had... Um, we had a, a women's day and a panel, uh, which surprisingly I sat on and I had, it was really surreal because I had what I was regarded as legends of the sport and I was sitting next to them on this well, panel. Well, you are. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So it was really interesting to hear from, you know, people who did the sport 20 years ago and how it's changed to some of the pros that are racing now in, in the UK. And then there was this one lady, she's a journalist in the US called Michelle Bandor and she um it's quite funny so someone had made fun of her on live on tv one day some something about her nose being too big and oh my you know, goodness. If you need to use the money to do something like that blah 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 anyway she kind of took on the comment and made this big kind of made a big deal about it in the sense that if you give me that pound 
you know, for my nose, I'll do something else. And um, <laughs> actually, she she did that. And then she set up this tri club for underprivileged kids. And it became this thing, which was amazing. So to, to meet her and you're like, you know, Danya, she's, she's still racing. She's still out there racing. And this was in 2019. Yeah. When exactly? So the champs were in September. Right. I, seemed, I seem to have a tendency. My kids start school and then I disappear. <laughs> but then 2020 happened yes. and COVID yes. killed yes. in, right? Yes. So and then that's, that's the wheels big... fell off after that. Yeah. So I remember the early days of COVID. Like I was training at home. I had an indoor trainer. I remember like doing a mad dash to get an indoor trainer when I, I felt like everything was going to lock down, which yeah. eventually it did. And I was doing rides. I did like 100K one day or whatever. But then I was kind of like, meh, you know, like just keep <clears throat> up fitness. Yeah. And then I remember seeing people doing all sorts of stuff at home. Yeah. And I remember then one photo of you, you. <laughs> <laughs> lifting like, what is it, water bottles on like yeah, a broom handle try. or yeah. something. <laughs> that would, yeah, yeah. I didn't have to say that. Yeah, COVID, the, the, I found the lockdown really hard. I'm sure I'm not the only one. It was interesting. Like it's two people in the house, like myself and my husband, when were quite different in how we handled it. Jeff was actually quite... I have to go into the office, I'm going to stay home, chill. I like to go out. So I found that really difficult. And I think you it was going uh, still crazy. I was. And it, and I think it, it was quite interesting talking to friends of mine. Like at the time they were single, they don't have kids. And they were like, it's really lonely. And I'm like, I'm in a house stuck with my three kids <laughs> and my husband. And I just want to be by myself. <laughs> I had this experience. I was like, I'm alone. And then I'm like, I'm alone. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, oscillate between like yeah. moods, right? Like, yeah. Um, so it was you know and we had Sarah was younger then so the older two were kind of getting on with this homeschooling thing but with the younger one you had to yeah be to on sit all there the time. and really explain yeah. and you're like I'm not a teacher and this is why yeah. um, <laughs> but we um it's quite funny we developed we had there was this big chair that we had in the garden like a big round one with a cover on it and the deal became if mummy sat on that chair you you leave her alone <laughs> and, um, and there were times I'd be on that chair and the kids would I could see the kids or even Jeff coming out the patio door see where I was and then just and then just go back in the house Love it. um but so, yeah we did I tried to keep fit mm. um and obviously at the time I was already part of a coaching team for one of the teams here with um BR performance mm-hmm. so we had to keep the team going we had lots of zoom sessions for mm. our athletes that we would all train together either on the trainer I was in charge of a of a swim session swim session that we were doing like a dry land swim session so yeah. we would all zoom in and do that I think it was interesting. Lockdown kind of went one, two ways, I think, for people. They either completely lost their mojo and the fitness kind of just fell by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Or you had the ones that overdid it. I kind of sat in both camps because mm-hmm. um, a friend of mine sent me a message and said, I've decided to do an, a marathon in my back garden. What do you think? And I was like, no. And he was in Scotland at the time. And I was like, I don't think really I'm up for that. Yeah. Somehow at some point I said yes. The day, and you did it, right? The day got closer and I just kept quiet. And I'm like, I'm not going to talk to Craig. I'm just going to leave it. Hopefully he's forgotten. No, the day before it's like, are you ready? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I did that. I took I took my time because he was in Scotland. I, it was really hot here. Was his garden a lot bigger than yours? No, his, his garden sizes were about the same, oh, right. to be fair. But he I was thinking to, like he, he's got some huge more, property in like the countryside. It was but pretty much the How same. did you manage the bike? Oh, no, marathon. No, marathon. just the oh, marathon. Just the marathon. It was just the marathon. But then at the lunch at the lunchtime point, I stayed inside and I took a break because yeah. by that point for it us, it was, us, it was already 40, 45. 
But it was really cool because like when I was supposed to finish, a bunch of my friends zoomed in and they're all at home with their cowbells and just everyone's just cheering. cheering. Yeah, so it was... It was nice. And then yeah. you got COVID. Then I got COVID about it was a month a, later. It was yeah. a mild case, correct? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it, it knocked me out for the first five, six days. The Basically, I had fever, obviously the, the fatigue, dizziness and headaches. I had no breathing problems, no cough, nothing. Just generally tired. Yeah, so oh. you spoke You spoke to media and we are quite open about yeah. this. So you had COVID, recovered. At what stage did you realize, like, this isn't going away? Like, you had long COVID. Yeah, it was fairly, it was actually fairly early on. So I tested negative within two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um and Jeff got it. One of the kids got it as well at the time. Jeff didn't test negative for four weeks after. Wow. Uh, so we were still kind of restricted in the house. And after, obviously, it's it was early days. We're yeah. all generally quite relaxed about it now to a point. Um, but at that point, it was like, I really want to get out of the house. Can yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave the phone at home <laughs> just to go for a walk. Yeah, yeah. Because, um, you know, all that stuff. But I wanted to start to get back into... Mm. I wanted to start to get back into training. Like, I, I remember specifically there was a day... I was still with COVID. I was feeling better, but I, I was still positive. And it would have been the day I would have been doing the Iron Man in Lanzarote, because that's that was my goal at the time. And I remember I walked for 11 minutes in the garden and I had to sleep for four hours because wow. I was so tired. Mm. And it was just the, I was supposed to be doing an Iron Man today and I can't walk for more than, I can't walk for 15 minutes. Mm. So I noticed the dizzy spells weren't going away. I was struggling to stand up for long times, to walk, uh, just to cook dinner for the kids. The headaches were still about as intense as they were to start off with and the fatigue would come and go mm. and the most unsettling bit was the lack of pattern right like I couldn't, you didn't know when I it didn't would happen yeah it was like when okay if, I, if I do this I'm gonna get this so if I avoid it I'm good yeah no there was no mm. pattern to it and I knew with everything that was being talked about on the media and all that stuff I was like I'm not going back into anything mm-hmm. until I get checked out. Yeah. So um, I came across a doctor. She actually just had done a podcast at that time to discuss what the protocols were to get athletes back into training and stuff like that. So I went to see her. Was and, it someone here? Um, yeah, it's Dr. Kate Jordan. She's a sports medicine specialist. Okay. She's also the chief medical officer for uh, British Swimming. So she works with top level athletes. And I knew my concern was at the time, I didn't want to go to a just an average GP. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to the GPs. No, because I think they would dismiss they it. Would because just say, a lot of people yeah. didn't even believe that there yeah. was something called long COVID. But it, right? it was also the, um, we'll just don't train. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. well, yeah, that's not mm-hmm. an option. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, this sitting that's down not an is for not, you. yeah, I yeah. need to, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not asking to race right now, but I want to get back into it. Yeah fitness so Kate sent me for a whole host of tests and stuff to check everything um and interestingly I did uh, for example at the time I did the stress test on the treadmill my heart rate was fine my heart was okay I lasted I think something like 12 minutes on it at the time but it wasn't until because they keep you hooked up Mm -hmm. to once you then sit down they also need to see your heart rate on recovery And as soon as I sat down and stopped moving, the heart rate was just all over the place. It was erratic. I felt really dizzy. And then gradually I noticed the chest pains were getting stronger and the breathing, which we found quite strange because during COVID, I didn't have a cough. My oxygen sats never dropped because we checked. Whereas my husband, for example, Jeff had a bad cough and his sats would drop Mm -hmm. and then they'd come back up and they drop. I had nothing. 
So we went to see a pulmonologist. So it turns out I have asthma, <laughs> which... Um, you never had before? No, no history in the family of asthma. I never had it as a child. I know not, I'm not making a big deal of it in the sense that it, so many people have asthma, lots of athletes with asthma, but it was just like to try and learn to deal with it when yeah. you're 41. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was quite a shock. And I remember this one time, once, once I was finally better to go out and ride and stuff, I remember I went out this one time down our Kudra by myself <laughs> it was humid and I've noticed that's now a trigger so I try not to be outside mm. if the humidity is really high but I got what felt like my first sort of proper asthma attack and mm. I was like beyond the solar park by myself now what yeah so I kind of sat down I had my inhaler but it took me a while to settle and then slowly was like right just go home <laughs> so did all of those symptoms that you were feeling did they ease out once you um, had this diagnosis uh gradually no we were um it took time the asthma still there uh, it's a lot better now i still have to manage it at times like i said humidity really triggers it badly Whereas if it's a dusty day i avoid being outdoors for riding on those days the dizziness took a while to sort out it was called bppv banana positional something or other vertigo and it's it's not covid specific it's can happen to anyone post-viral and the way it was explained to me is that we have some hairs in our ears that have to move uniformly depending on how you go and there's crystals in there that kind of help with that so when my head would turn this way the hair has to go that way or something like that my my head was a snow globe wow basically so every time i stood up or tried to do anything so riding my bike was not an option running definitely not an option not that i wanted to run <laughs> like oh no <laughs> yeah, i can't no. <laughs> um, but even swimming like the first couple of times that kate said okay you can maybe start with swimming obviously it's low impact and it's good just just the, just the turn my head to breathe to tumble turns were out of the question but just the turning the head was quite tricky um so that was one of those things where it can take time. I worked with an osteopath to do vestibular um, rehab. And then eventually I came across um, an ENT doctor that was quite knowledgeable on the subject. He was also very sympathetic to the long COVID thing. Because mm. I also found if a doctor, as good as they were, or a specialist if they, if they, as they were, if they weren't sympathetic to it, it would just put my back up. And I just, yeah. I just wanted to leave and yeah. just... Like mm-hmm. you just you just think I'm making all this stuff yeah. up. So mm. so we went and did it's this thing called the Apley maneuver. It's something that you can do by yourself, but obviously if someone else does it for you, it's a lot more extreme. So they kind of put you in this chair and they're basically trying you're basically trying to get the crystals back in the place they're in supposed the to be. Sweet. And it'll throw you back, like with the head to go lower than your legs, then move you one way, then the other. Yeah. And then he's like, Okay, just calm down now. Like your head's starting to go. I'll hand you a bucket <laughs> and then um I had to go home and I had to sit upright pretty much for like uh, 24 hours oh wow Just try and sleep upright um, did that help it did I had one more treatment and then it pretty much started to subside wow. I was able to ride a bike again so it took six months to get on a mountain bike uh we actually specifically went and bought one because obviously they're heavier so yeah, they're yeah, yeah. more balanced so I could do that. It took about nine months to get back on the road bike and about 11 months before I was back on my TT bike. So like an entire um, year to, yeah. of and how, recovery. You know, as someone who's so active and obviously, you know, involved on a personal and professional level, how did you deal with that mentally? Because that would have been really challenging. Um, 
<laughs> it was. There were lots of bad days, lots of why me and all that stuff. And I, and I know I know there are far worse things in the world and the far worse conditions to be dealing with. But at the time when you're in that, you don't care if someone else is worse off than you. You're just kind of focusing on yourself. And it was, it just felt a bit like loss of identity and what do I do? It was frustration at the, my body's not doing what it's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's not doing what I'm telling it to do. Once I had some clearance to do some training the frustration was I would have a relatively good day of training and then I'd be flawed for five days I'd be back into bed rest level and it was also it was also quite difficult for the kids um my eldest in particular she became overprotective so they've gone from seeing mummy doing all this stuff to they come home from school and mummy's on the couch again and mummy's saying if you want mcdonald's for dinner that's fine because yeah. i can't get up and cook <laughs> and i remember this one time which was the point i kind of realized okay we need to really talk to her and stuff so we, we carpool with mm. a friend and on the, that particular day um it was my turn to do pick up at school Grant was already out, so he rang and he said, look, I'm near the school anyway. I know you, I'm, you're supposed to do it, but stay home. I'll go get the kids. And I was like, okay, great. Don't have to do the school run. Literally within a minute of school being let out, I had a phone call from my eldest daughter saying, why aren't you picking us up? I'm like, I said, Grant happened to be out. So he's helping out and picking you guys up and saving me a trip. What's wrong? Worried. Nothing. I'm fine. Oh. No, but you're supposed to pick us up. I know. I'm fine. Grant's just helping out. Okay. And she puts the phone down on me. My husband was working from home that day. And literally, I can then hear him in his home office. Maria, mommy's fine. Yeah. <laughs> she's okay. Don't worry. And then I get a message and like from Grant saying, she's stressing, but I'm, I'm calming her down. I'm like, okay. So then she literally bolts through the door when he dropped them off. What's the matter? Like nothing. And I was conscious because at the time I was laying on the couch. Yeah. So as soon as I had the car, I sat up. <laughs> so yeah, I think the, the kids kind of struggled with that. For me, it was difficult watching that the race season had started mm. as well. So I... It was quite sweet. There was a, it's, the race isn't on anymore, but I don't know if you ever heard of the Hatta Triathlon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you, you get to swim in the dam. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a difficult bike and run, but I really wanted to do the swim. So I posted on one of the Facebook groups that I'm on for triathlon. I said, look, guys, I can't really do a race yet, but I am able to swim. I'd love to do this race, but I need a bike and a runner to do a relay straight away. You but got them. It, yeah, I've got them straight away. So I d- managed to do that, and that felt like a... A little bit of a victory. I kind of yeah. added a race, mm. but I got in. I got involved main, in a volunteer basis. I couldn't race, so I helped out wherever I could in races. Contacted some of the organisers that if you need a if you need a hand or a marshal or something, I'll be there. So it also meant I kind of got front row seats to see my my athletes race and my friends race and cheer them on and stuff. But it always came as with a a wish. I would, I wish I was doing it or not. Mm. And then eventually Kate gave me the all clear to do one, Amazing. to do a race. So I'd started with the Dubai Women's Triathlon. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which is coming up. Which is coming up, <laughs> yes. It's a pretty great race, actually, for trying to increase the uh, female participation. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's one that I've supported from the start. And I was desperate to do that again. So the deal was I was going to do, obviously, the shortest distance possible. Yeah. And... Even though at that point I had just about started riding my road bike, the deal was I would only do it on the mountain bike. And you did it on the mountain bike. Um, Because we were worried coming from the swim 
being horizontal to go in vertical yeah. that I'd be quite dizzy the mountain bike's obviously more stable but also I can't compete against a TT bike with a mountain bike yeah so I'll, there was less chance of the athlete ego taking over yeah <laughs> And like just enjoy this yeah yeah so we agreed went and saw the doctor like before so I signed up for the race and it was I remember pretty much everyone that was there kind of knew of me and knew of the situation and they were like are you okay I guess I'm fine no problem we're all good I've had the clearance so we did the swim and I came out of the water I may you know if you didn't know me you'd have thought I was drunk and I remember the paramedics were right there coming out of the water. And I'm like, don't make eye contact. <laughs> just just walking. Lay low. Yeah, because they're going to pull you off court. And rightly so, to be fair. The way I was walking out the water, you'd be like, uh, yeah. she shouldn't be getting on a bike. Yeah. So I managed to avoid them. I went and got my bike. Somehow managed to get on it. I did enjoy it, actually. Yeah. There was a couple of points where athletes that I would normally be faster than them went flying past me I was just like it's a mountain bike don't compete you're here to have fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so I finished that wobbled back to transition to leave my bike um I couldn't run initially so I started walking kind of took my inhaler a few times and then I started to feel better the dizziness settled so I managed to run the last k the last k home and cheesiest grin on my face amazing um yeah just crossed the line there were lots of tears at that point yeah and if it felt like I was okay I was yeah. able to yeah. start doing things again and has it been a slow progression then um or? pretty much pretty much it took so that would have been 2020 when I did uh, the women's try mm. I think I remember I counted the days it was something like 200 and something days after COVID mm. I managed to finish the race so after that it was I was given the all clear like I remember going to see Kate and she said do you have no restrictions on your training mm. now because okay. before it was like your heart rate can only go to this mm. um you can only do your so you do your interval your heart rate can go up to that one but then you can't start the next interval until the mm. heart rate drops to here um so I had all this stuff to work with um the day that Kate said there's no restrictions just be sensible and listen to your body mm. um there was a little bit of um oh <laughs> you're like all senses <laughs> gone out the window <laughs> oh God, now what mm. um but no I was I was very careful and I was still getting the whole I would have a couple of good days and then I'd have a bad day and I'd mm. need rest so I took my time I finished the season in in the April of 2021 with just doing a sprint triathlon which is 750 swim 20k bike and a 5k run mm -hmm. and I was happy with that because at, at least at that point granted it was April but I didn't take part I raced I raced that race nice. like I swam it to race I think I made podium so it was like okay it's not the distance I would normally go for I'm sure and I felt really tired and stuff but it was I went I went and I raced it I race didn't mentality. just go let's just yeah. see if I get through yeah. it and then I just carried on building through the summer yeah. and then this year I felt like I had a point to prove so and I, uh, uh, yeah I guess, I guess yeah. I did yeah <laughs> yeah you did yeah. Um, yeah so I put I pushed a little bit this year like back in March it was it was one of those things and I, I mean you must you guys must know as well with cycling the the season here is so short yeah, because of the is. weather yeah you find yourself like back to back, back weekends to back, yes. um so like Muscat announced their date the 70.3 in mm. Muscat we were all like great that's one of the best races in the region 
let's go then Dubai Dubai, an- Dubai announces a week yeah, after they upend the entire and you're like thing. <laughs> great so back to back and then there's the whole doesn't make sense for me to do back to back you know this is going to be my first 70.3 after covid mm-hmm. yeah be sensible now <laughs> and this and this is why I always say to my athletes you do as I say and not as I do yeah um, <laughs> but, like, but you've done it yeah. but um I remember I had to sit out the 2021 Dubai Ironman and I went there and I cheered literally from start to pretty much the last finisher I was out there from 6 a.m until 4 4 p.m yeah and I actually I thoroughly enjoyed the cheering had my little cool box like (laughs) my music um, my boom box everything cowbells my megaphone not that I need a megaphone apparently but it was Um, a hot race it was because the date was a lot later Mm. normally Dubai is end of January beginning Mm. of Feb but because of Covid so in hindsight that was a better decision I think in 2021 yes (laughs) and I did enjoy it actually and from a team support just to watch everybody race Mm. and uh, cheer them on it it was good but there was I'd be Mm. lying if I said there weren't times when I was sat there going Mm. I want to be I want to be there yeah Probably not so much when no, I saw them. Up. When I saw them running in like you know thirty eight degree heat, I was like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Don't need to be there. It's n- no, it's nice to be comfortable. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I've got my shade. I'm alright. Not to be suffering. <laughs> it's nice. This episode is supported by Deep Dive Dubai. We know that our listeners love awesome adventures. And take it from us, it doesn't get more awe-inspiring than the world's deepest pool. Measuring a record-breaking 60 meters, Deep Dive Dubai gives both scuba and freedivers the ability to discover an underwater world complete with the latest in dive technology and an abandoned sunken city. For those new to diving, like me, it's the ideal place to get started. And for those experienced to expert divers out there, it's the perfect place to hone your skills. With exceptional facilities, expert staff and state-of-the-art technology. Since it opened in 2021, it has mesmerized visitors and continues to deliver extraordinary experiences seven days a week. For more information and to book your experience, visit deepdivedubai.com. So when 2022 came and they announced it was a week after, it was a week after Oman, I kind of toyed with the idea. I was like, maybe I should just do a relay in Dubai. So at least I'm there. I spoke to, I spoke to my doctor again and she was like, we can't really make the call until we see how you cope with Oman. Mm-hmm. So if you're happy to pay, because Dubai sells out really quickly, there's no mm. option of leaving it that late. So I thought, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so then I signed up for both. Mm. And then the weekend after Dubai, Trias announced and Ocean Man announced as well. So it was <laughs> Did like you do this, them all? Three, <laughs> well, you did was, Ocean Man. It was three weekends back to back. Oh, so wow. we had Muscat one weekend, Dubai the weekend after, and then a weekend later... I had Ocean Man, the 10K swim in Dubai in the morning. And Trias is the only afternoon race, mm. but it's a major Abu Dhabi race. Mm-hmm. Um, and we used we used to live in Abu Dhabi and there's a really big women's only community in mm. Abu Dhabi for triathlon. Yep. So I didn't, again, didn't was like, I didn't want to miss that. And I didn't want to miss that supporting mm. the girls. So I did I did that. Literally, I finished the swim, got Jane, drove to Abu Dhabi to do, to do that race. So it was three, basically 15 days of four events back to back wow um, and i can't say i had stellar performances in any of them they were respectable performances my times were they were pretty good not nowhere near pbs or anything like that but they were respectable there was that 
okay, I'm I'm back now. If I can cope, yeah. If I can I mean, cope with this, people not coming yeah. back from illness that is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but after that, I took a month off basically after to just spend time with the kids, just to relax. And then after that, the build up to the 30k swim started. So I just had a break. I kind of enjoyed the fact that okay, you're back now. Mm-hmm. I remember kind of doing a post about um, about those three events, and I just said, right, it's been 22 months now. And I'm done with COVID. Okay, I still have the asthma lingering, but it's there's it's no manageable issue. It's now. fine now. And Amazing. We're done with COVID. Now, um, Ocean Man, is this like I'm from the Biking Man? Uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> Biking Man uh, kind of family. But is it's is Ocean Man like it's an ultra series? Yeah, of swimming. it's kind of it's trying to bring open water swimming to the masses because mm. normally open okay. water swimming it's a very solitary sport. There's not that they, there's lots of open water swims, but usually shorter ones Mm. because there's a major safety yeah uh, safety thing logistically they're quite difficult to Mm -hmm. and we don't actually have enough of them here like Mm -hmm. we used to do round the burge swim that's a 4k if you do it now from sunset beach yeah it's a 4k swim but it used to be within the grounds of the hotel okay so it was a 1k event just to go around but usually one to 3k is about as big a swim event as Mm -hmm. you get here Mm -hmm. so yeah when ocean man came it was like and they do they do a a 2k event they do some kids events for like 500 meters and then there's the main race is for 5k which is called the sprint (laughs) um and the 10k which the 10k under fina which is the international swimming association that's considered the marathon okay for swimming swimming yeah. right so yeah so we did they were here in march was um, this the first ocean man event that they had held no, here? no they've done it the last time they did it was 2018 right down at so, jbr mm-hmm. but there was delays and covid obviously kind yeah. of interfered so yeah there was a whole bunch of us that did it all the there's a pretty big actually swim community in dubai now as well and ocean man has played its part in that to mm-hmm. finally have a an event come for mm. people can work towards yeah. and train um, for. was really good mm. um so now and and as so the ocean man has all these they have all these races they have the three ultra ocean man mm. events which is greece was one of them and they have a spanish one and a portuguese one and then once a year they hold the version of world championships so when you go to a race you get there's some slots and mm-hmm. you qualify if you want to go to the world champs. And how long is the world champion? It's, it's whatever distance that you choose it, whatever distance you swam in the race. So for me, I swam 10K in March in Dubai. Yep. I've qualified for the 10K. Okay. Right, right, um, right. If you swam the, temp, the five, you qualify for the five. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And this year it's actually, it's back in Greece. Uh, so it's going to be down in Crete in October. And you're doing that as well. Um, yeah, and there's a, it's actually really cool. There's a whole bunch of us from Dubai. There's about 25 of us from Dubai that qualified. Oh, wow. So it's going to be a pretty um, Amazing. awesome event. So um, talk us through the, the most recent one, 30K. <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it. it. <laughs> you mentioned safety before. You each had a safety boat, is it correct? Yes, you, and you had, to, a, have your, you had to have your crew. support crew there. Uh, ultimately, if you didn't have one, they could provide one for you. Yeah, okay. But I'd spoken to people who have done this sort of thing before and you need you need somebody there who you knows can you. trust, somebody who knows you well enough to tell you to suck it up and just keep going <laughs> or, to, you know, that really understands you. So I asked my best friend, we've done Ironmans together. Mm-hmm. He knows me very well. 
in how I am in that sort of situation. It was tricky because we both have children and <laughs> the kids just started school. But anyway, we managed the logistics. He was in charge of my nutrition. So I've been working with a nutritionist because this is something completely different to a triathlon. Absolutely, yeah. So he had the plan. We talked through it, exactly what he had to do. He had to I preferred the nutrition to be relatively fresh. So we debated whether does he prepare it the night before? And I said, I'd rather it's done there and then. So it doesn't just sit, you know, with powdered stuff, it can just kind of sit there on the yeah, water. Right. It's not great. So yeah, he was in charge of all that. I guess I just had Stick to swim. To the um, yeah. I saw the, the hydration <laughs> hack you had. The little water bottle with yeah. the Yeah, the water bottle on a... The dog lead. Well, was, I thought it was a fishing rod. Or no, it was a dog lead. <laughs> like cast it out to Yeah, you. no, so we wrapped the bottle around the retractable dog lead. He'd throw <laughs> it out to me. <laughs> and then when I'd finished, he'd just press the button and the bottle came back to him. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, How many times like did you have water breaks and like So the plan nutrition? was, it was uh, 30 minute breaks. So we started swimming no matter where I was and how I was doing he would wave or get my attention at the 30 minute mark and there was a plan at the first feed you get this nutrition second feed is this third feed is this fourth and he had a whole list of what he had to do then we had backup plans so if I didn't want what he was going to give me because I didn't feel well or whatever we had other options that I could ask for and one of them I remember one of them was flat coke uh, so we'd bought Coke the day before and kept it Flat. open um, the, the night before. And in my head, I thought it was my fourth feed I thought was Coke. So when he said stop for your fourth feed, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get Coke. And he gave me other stuff. And I was like, where's the Coke? He said, you don't get Coke for another hour. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> fine then. <laughs> so I took what he gave me. Um, so the, there, were, there were lots of stops. Like, to be fair to him, um, he did a very good job of documenting and updating everyone on Instagram. Yeah, I followed along. Um, there were lots of tears and tantrums that he didn't document. It wasn't a case, like we hadn't discussed it or anything. I really didn't know what he was going to do when I gave him my Instagram. Um, the bad times weren't documented, not because we we only wanted to show the good stuff. Mm. It was more, he was down at the end of the boat. Yeah, trying, yeah, yeah, yeah. trying yeah, yeah. to talk to me. Yeah. Um, I can't... Look, if someone was, I've always had a bad time in a race and I've said it before, I'm like, get that camera out of my yeah. face. Yeah. 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 So, um, I mean, there was, the forecast was that for the first four or five hours, the sea would be calm and it would be, and we'd seen it the day before we were sat having breakfast, looking out going, this will be good. This will be a good day. Yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> um, and then the, the wind would pick up and the waves mm. would pick up in the second half, but actually it was forecasted to help us to push us home yeah none of that happened so we started and it started choppy mm. and i i've got some shoulder unsurpri unsurprisingly with all the swimming i've got some shoulder issues and the chop made it worse because mm. the, the chop affected how my arm was hitting the mm. water and um if i tried to pull it would just adjust it so the the pain in the shoulder started really early which started to worry me mm. and then there was the whole okay, if I breathe this, you know, trying to breathe and you were swallowing water and I couldn't find a rhythm and I got, I got seasick, which again, I wasn't, ex I really wasn't expecting. So about the 7k mark, I stopped, not at a feeding point time. I just stopped and I just said to Grant, I, I don't think I can do this. Um, and I was deadpan, dead serious. And he was like, you got 10 minutes until your next feed. Just let's just get to your next feed and then mm -hmm. we can talk about it later. And I was mm -hmm. like, I don't think I can do this. And I remember like, he was sat at the end of the boat and I, I just turned away. I couldn't even look at him. So I turned away. And then part of me was thinking, how am I going to explain this to everyone back home that I, I, you know, I gave up at 7K. 
and there's always the you know the the training has kept me away from home obviously for the for the kids mm-hmm. um there's let alone the financial investment to do something like this I was like okay I'll get to the next feed so I get to the next feed still felt the same and Grant was like it's gonna die down we've checked the <laughs> liar <laughs> it's gonna die down you're gonna be fine <laughs> um I was like fine so somehow we carried on and then I got to the 10k mark and there was something about hitting the 10k mark that mm. was like okay fine we're good you can do this yeah then I think we got two hours in the middle of the day where the water just went how it, how we were expecting it to be and it was that was just that was just the best Bliss. I found my rhythm mm. my shoulder pain started to subside and it's gonna sound really cheesy and but I mean the the, the water is just so so blue and there was, there was no clouds. So the way the sun was hitting the water, the light rays, there was like this light play underneath me. Um, I didn't see any fishes, thankfully. Um, but the light play was pretty awesome. And that's all I was just focused on. And every time I was like, my head was in the water, I was like, this is pretty cool. This is good. Look at me. What I'm, you know, And it was just, it literally was, there was nothing else to think about. Yeah. I wasn't having any profound experience. Yeah. I think someone was, asked you that on, yeah, on Instagram, what's, going, right? through what's your mind? going through your mind. Not a lot, really. <laughs> um, and that's and that's genuine. It was just, this is great. This is what, what I wanted. This is what swimming feels like. And, you know, when I was chatting with Grant and the captain of the boat after, they said the same, like, when, when the sea calmed and you got into the stroke, they said we were just watching you and it was just great. You just seemed really happy. The stroke was awesome. And they were actually debating, well, she's due a feed. Should we stop her? She seems in a groove. They did stop me. We had to stick to it. But then it kind of went wrong again. (laughs) Um, The wind started to pick up. And it was supposed to help bring me home, but Mm. it was side on. So it, it wasn't. So the pain in the shoulder started. The seasickness kicked in again. So I was struggling to take on food. At one point I took some and I vomited straight away. So we, he had to try and quickly try and give me something else to hopefully keep it down. Then at one point he was like, you haven't had enough. You need to eat some more. I said, I'm done. And he's like, just have a little bit more. So he gave me the food back again to eat. I literally, just like a toddler would, took a bite, threw it back at him and moved away <laughs> from the boat. I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> um, and at about the 23, 24K or something like that, I could finally see the end the finish line I could mm. see that well I could see the town let's put it that I could see the town in the background so but every half hour I would stop for feed and look up it wasn't getting any closer and the meltdowns at that point <sighs> there was lit I was crying and I was saying I can't I can't do this anymore I'm tired and Grant was like I can see the finish line I was like you know I was like <laughs> not getting any closer he was like, it is getting closer. And I'm like, it's not getting closer. I can't even see the wall. I can't even see the big ship, blah, blah. And it was like, just, and that, that was the point where there was a lot of just shut up and swim. Yeah. <laughs> and you did, you finished. Um, there was literally, I was probably stopping every five minutes or so, having a whinge, crying and stuff. And then a friend of mine who did it last year. So the two people that did it last year, and it was following their progress last year that made me sign up. One of them, Richard, was was there on holiday and he told me a few weeks back, I'll be there when your race is on. I was like, oh, that'd be great to see you at the finish line. He said, let's see if I can manage to actually swim with you. 
there was no guarantees because how are we going to get him out mm. to the boat? So as we were swimming, like I said, every every athlete had their own boat, but the organizers were, also had their own boat and they were going round the bay, checking in on everyone. So I'd seen that boat come close to me a few times, slow down, I'm assuming to touch base with Grant and the captain, and then they'd go off. So I see the boat again, so it comes about 25, 26K, and the boat stops. I'm like, I don't know what's going on anyway. So I carry, I just carry on for a little bit. And the boat's still there. So, you know, curious and, you know, wanting a distraction. <laughs> I kind of looked up and there's Rich at the back of the boat in his swimmers, putting his cap and goggles. Oh. You're committed then. Rich is out <laughs> uh, there with yeah. you. <laughs> He's, um, and um, yeah, and the organizer just shouts out. He said, you got company for the last stretch. And literally I just went from this sobbing that I was doing just had the biggest grin on my face the water was yeah the water was still shocking but I had someone yeah I had someone in the water with me and he swam all the way to the end with me amazing um, yeah yeah, no I like it's quite funny (laughs) again not to sound all um cheesy or anything like that but there's a pretty big swim group here and to be Mm. part of something that you know there's not many people that would jump in the water Mm. the way it was Mm. on their holiday Mm to swim with yeah. you in pretty bad um in pretty bad conditions yeah. so yeah very yeah. thankful it's one of the that. things that yeah, i love like personally support. about the ue and community yeah, yeah. exactly and There's i think a lot. we're next door to a pretty big country <laughs> lots of <rough laughs> things are changing there yeah you were recently part of the first tri camp for women yeah. in saudi arabia tell yeah. us about that yeah that was a pretty amazing opportunity actually um so triathlon in saudi is actually a, a very a growing sport it's mm-hmm. something and there's lots of women that are getting involved um actually in particularly in Jeddah there's a group called the Jeddah tribe founded by two women one of the biggest groups there and they organize different training sessions and rides and and that kind of stuff so the federation has now pulled uh, put together a a team and they wanted to get the team together for the first time and they invited uh, BR performance to help with the coaching i work for BR so i was called in to help with the female team it was three weeks in Abha, mm-hmm. up in the mountains. So it was an altitude, uh, an altitude training camp. There were eight men and four women that took part. We tried wherever possible to have sessions together with the male and the female team. Mm. Obviously, that that wasn't possible at all times. There's still certain cultural things that um, have to change. But it, it was actually a very humbling experience. To um, you know, we all we all started from somewhere. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we forget. And even then, if I think back, consider the facilities we have here, the stuff that I had growing up with access to sport, um, these ladies haven't. Uh, they've had to go through a time where there was just sport was just not an option not, for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And it's quite refreshing to see the the thirst to learn to engage in the sport and how much they and when you talk to them about what what is it that you want to do and I've I had lots of time to talk to the girls um I say girls you know they're they're grown women like one of them's a a PhD student uh, we have a plastic surgeon a trauma surgeon so you know these are accomplished women that are part of the team and the number one thing they'll they'll tell you doesn't necessarily refer to their performance or what they want to achieve as an athlete it's how they're going to grow the sport and how they're going to get it's amazing more girls back in mm-hmm. and any chance they get so we had um journalists follow us for a few days mm-hmm. um for arab news mm-hmm. apparently it's um, 
very big over there. Yeah. And the girls did say to me, is like, you know, because we, we did discuss with the coaching team and the federation the um, disruption that having a journalist come in and out would potentially do to the training sessions. But the girls were like, yeah, that's just as important. So mm. we're going to, that's okay. I can't argue with that. Yeah. And, and um, that's where the inspiring stories are, right? These people yeah. like, people who live their normal lives yeah. but they're coming out and doing these things and trying to kind of change the sporting ecosystem yeah. by representation yeah, yeah. representation so, matters yeah. a, a lot and one of the things we spoke about at the end of the camp when we kind of did a reflection with the athletes and with the the triathlon federation there especially for the women they're very early on in their triathlon journeys they have um they have potential but at the same time, being realistic, the majority of the girls are in the 30s. So in terms of Saudi achieving, say, Olympic level athletes, mm-hmm. this isn't the team that's going to this isn't the team that's going to do it. And this is no disrespect to them, to the girls. They need to grow mm. the sport. They're a huge country with a massive population. Mm-hmm. So actually the potential to have major talent in there. Yeah, it's big. It's big. So we discussed that you, they, the girls need to race as much as possible mm. in locally but within the GCC region mm. because they can be they can be competitive mm. in the GCC region. Yeah. Yeah. So um, Saudi is hosting something of an Olympics that is coming um, up. It's called the Saudi Games. Yeah. So effectively exactly. yeah, it's kind of their I guess the equivalent of Olympic trials. So one of um, the one of the girls in the UAE who is a Saudi national uh, did the trial for the cycling bit. Mm. And she was saying there were just, there probably like a handful of people. So she's not even a cyclist, but mm-hmm. she's going and doing it because yeah. she knows there are so few that her chances are quite high yeah. to even get selected yeah. for these. And she's outrightly said that there's very little the for women is, yeah, so, the pool is so far for yeah. women, right? But the men's games have so much representation yeah. already. Yeah. But they have to they have to start somewhere. Exactly. And, yeah. the, and the important thing is they are starting mm-hmm. and they are pushing. Like, you know, the fact that four women were there in APA, mm-hmm. a female coach was there just for them mm. that's a huge step and like the the camp in Abha was three weeks the logistics the organization and the finances to put that together is pretty big so I'm not going to say the camp was perfect and there weren't teething issues and that kind of stuff we would expect it to be I genuinely mean this you won't find a group of athletes better supported mm. by their federation whatever they needed they had and like I said we're talking about people that are you know, we had lawyers. One of the girls is a, like I said, she's a trauma surgeon. They were all given three weeks off work. Not this wasn't taken out on their annual leave. Right. To be this able wasn't to do that. this wasn't unpaid leave. The federation pulled whatever strings they had to pull to make sure these eight guys and four girls had time off work mm. with no impact mm. to their career. That's no min feat. That's that's pro level. Yeah. That's pro level stuff. Yes, they may not be pro level. Performance-wise, yet, but they're getting the support. Um, they're getting the support they need, and there is. They're about to start another camp this week in Tabuk. Unfortunately, I can't. I can't be there because I've been pulled on to a different project. But they've just had the Saudi Games qualification this weekend. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the way they're doing it, there they have a various hubs of sports. So Riyadh, Jeddah, and Khobar, and they're having trial events at all three mm. to try 
and attract as many people as mm-hmm. possible because not everybody might be able to travel to an event right. in Jeddah yeah. or Khobar or anything like that. So they're having them in various Camps places. In and right. then wherever the event will be, more than likely, I'm guessing Riyadh because they're trying to put everything in Riyadh. Whoever qualifies gets to go there. Yes, and like all the girls from APA race this weekend, they all did really well. Been in touch with them to see how they did and all that. So even though I'm not, you know, I'm not their coach, the relationship is still there. Mm. I believe they're going to race the World Triathlon Series in Abu mm. Dhabi in November. Amazing. The mm. girls will be coming out. So if I don't see them before, I'll I'll see them then. They're making big strides. There's a long way to go. Mm. In terms of facilities, the males have more access to better level mm. facilities than mm. the females. Mm. But that said, as I understand, there's a new law that says every facility has to cater for has to cater for both. Amazing. Um, it's going to be a process mm-hmm. uh, because for a facility to now allow women, it needs to be adapted to have female changing rooms, for yeah. example. Yes. So like we had some access issues um, in APA. So we did raise the card of you know the law says we can use it Mm. and you know they rightly said yes you can but we're not ready Mm. to they Mm -hmm. haven't done the adjustments Mm. but they are Mm. and from what I understand from speaking to the girls in the team we were in a relatively small town because we wanted to take advantage of the altitude conditions and the um, in our some of the bigger cities are already ahead of the game in that sense with the facilities that they have and there are some mixed gender mm. facilities not mm. many mm. but they're there so they're, they're doing they're doing great strides and whilst it might not be there yet performance wise it's going to come they but have a massive pool of also potential athletes like you mentioned before you know the women that are involved in the tri-camp they're in their 30s you know but i think the government's recognition though that what they're doing in terms of training, what that means for the next generation yeah. and, and what that representation exactly. means is, yeah. is great. And to see the will behind that, you know, yeah. it's all going in the right direction. It is, yeah. And, you know, we look at what we have here and it's easy for us to get a bit blasé of what we've got here at times. But it did start somewhere as well. Exactly. You know, Alcantara's not that old, no. <laughs> really. So we just need to give him time. But I think it's not going to be a slow pace movement. There's already discussions about rolling out a school-wide program. We discussed with some of the Federation people when we were there. The biggest stumbling block from a triathlon perspective is the swim. Right. Mm from a cultural point of view. And obviously there's, it's the most technical of the three Mm -hmm. and potentially the most dangerous of the three. You know, if we leave cars and bikes aside for a sec and they are looking to start a nationwide program where everybody has to learn how to swim from school. And if you can cover the swim, it's a big step in the right direction. I remember the first Dubai Women's Try, for example, talking to some of the local ladies that were looking to take part and again, it's something that we don't think about. Um, the Dubai Women's Triathlon, so it's it's done down at the ladies' club uh, near the canal. We swim in the beach of the club there, um, but the beach is actually very protected mm-hmm. with a wave breaker. Mm. So potentially privacy-wise from the sea is there. Mm. Transition is done in the car park. Okay, we ride outside and we run outside. But as far as the swim is concerned, and when the race starts... No man is allowed, nobody, doesn't matter if you're family or not, nobody is allowed in to the beach area. Okay. Men are only allowed to come in after every athlete has gone onto the bike. Mm-hmm. So once they're all dressed and covered again. 
And I, I do remember chatting to some of them and they were able to swim the way we swim. Don't really think about that. I just swim so on and off I mm-hmm. go. I don't have to layer up. And they were ex- happy about the fact that they got to swim that way. They yeah. didn't have to worry about that. And we tend to kind of forget about that stuff. Yeah. Granted, now it's kind of gone the other way in that they will actually swim because it then becomes the issue of trying to put lycra on when you're wet, but they will give them the privacy at the swim. Mm. No, yep. no man, you will mm. see no male person on mm. the beach on race day. Right. Uh, it will open up once every athlete is out onto the bike. And the race has actually grown. This is going to be the first time they do it post-COVID. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, second time. But the race started with something like 98 athletes was the first year that we did it. The last race pre-COVID, um, we'd reached something like 350 and the target at the time was 500. And it's great. It's one of the few races where you you do also see a lot more women from the local community coming yeah. out because the guys aren't there and it, they feel more safe. Mm. And the, the vibe is different. Like, mm. you know, it's, it's a completely different vibe when the guys aren't there. This is a good segue into your role as Women for Try ambassador, mm. as well as you're involved in Cyprus Girls. So just mm. in terms of talking about access what role does that play as what have you seen in terms of like kind of building that support system for women i think there's an element of you can put organized structures in place and things like the dubai women's try is a good one because it gives somebody a goal to work towards and usually that's potentially when they will start seeking out some help so you can funnel if that's the right word or direct people the right way The reality is, if I'm completely honest, it's very much a case of just be more mindful about how you interact in the community and always paying it forward. I think I've had more impact on a one-to-one personal level with people just by suddenly striking up a conversation with someone in the gym or like the amount of times I used to go running in the gym on the treadmill and I'd wear my Women for Try top. Not deliberately, but I'd just wear it and someone will come and ask me a question. I could say, yeah, I'm training now, just I can't talk. Yeah. Or I can stop and talk to them and give them information. And I think that has a much greater impact than doing anything high profile or anything like that. Being part of the Tribels, I don't know if this is a group you guys have heard of. It started in Abu Dhabi, a group of five women kind of put it together. It's not a club, it's a community. It's now actually one of the biggest women-only triathlon groups worldwide. And it's now grown beyond its borders. We have about 80 ladies that are Dubai-based. Obviously, as we've lost people who have now moved away, but they'll still be part of the group. They become ambassadors, really. Yeah, effectively. <laughs> but yeah, but effectively, we, we, we all are. I think it's being mindful of that. So if someone comes and talks to you and asks you a question, no matter how simple the question might be, that it may seem completely obvious to, to you because, you, know, you know, you've been doing the sport for 10 years. Someone's just starting out. Mm. They don't know any of this stuff. And I think that goes, genuinely think that goes a long way. And I've seen it even from from myself. There are athletes out there that I are that are top performing athletes that, you know, you kind of aspire to that level of performance and then you meet them. Mm. <laughs> 
Miten kienää? Kienää. It's encouraging, you know, taking time out and saying somebody's asked you to go for a ride with them. And you're like, oh, it doesn't, this doesn't fit in with my schedule. It's going to be really slow. And you're like, but you know what? I had to do that. You know, somebody, somebody did that did for, for me. me. Yeah. I'm going to do that for them. And I genuinely think that that's how it snowballs more rather than an ambassador role. Like the, the Women for Try, the program's changing majorly now after COVID. Ironman's had a massive restructure. So the program's going to go down a different, a different route. So technically now I'm stepping away from that program. But at the same time, when I spoke to Ironman about the restructure and stuff, I said, look, whether I have the title or not, it doesn't change that what, what, you're what doing. I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. And the reality is with Ironman being a very American-based entity, the global ambassador program that they had when it came to what we were doing, we were doing stuff off our own back, just under the, under the, um, under the umbrella. And it's organizing, like we organized workshops with the other ambassador that's based here, Sarah Harris, introduction to, to triathlon. We went down to Zabia Ladies Club. We gave like a bit of a seminar lecture introduction as to what it is. You know, this is what the helmet looks like type thing, the shoes. And, mm. and we did a little indoor try and with swimming and all that kind of stuff. And that's what you need. So something like the Dubai Women's Try is great because mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a safe place. To test the waters. Yeah, the, the swim itself is extremely safe because it's so sheltered that even a non, someone who's not a confident swimmer can, can deal with it. And it's when you, when you do the race, and I always make it a bit of a point, if I'm out, even if I'm out racing, more so if I'm having a really bad day and I need to distract myself on the run, if I see someone's bib and if it has their name on it, I genuinely I try and look for the name see if I can read it and I'll shout out to the their name mm. they may run past and go who's that you know but yeah I know it from myself when someone shouts out your name or someone gives you it it helps and it also helps make the experience mm. um what it is and if you can finish a race whether it was the time that you wanted to do or not if you can finish a race and say I I had fun at some level <laughs> then that's a good thing and if you finish a race and you want to sign up again then this that's how the sport's Girl. growing if you can get a friend and say hey let's do a relay okay I know you're nervous about the swim I'll swim for you you could do the other stuff and then we can finish together relays are a fantastic way to get people in they get the atmosphere and the experience of the vibe mm -hmm. without necessarily having to do the sport they're nervous about usually the swim is a big uh is a big sticking point well we got a relay people. we got a relay right here bike run <laughs> swim. You see <laughs> well, was like oh no not with those yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just need to pick we just need to pick the race now <laughs> yeah. ladies uh -huh. ladies try yeah. <laughs> sounds yeah. good to yeah, me um, so one last question mm -hmm. we've gone over so many amazing yeah. things today it's been so insightful and really inspiring and like you said you know to your last point 
having someone in your corner is very important. Yeah. To go back to, I guess, our name, metal, you know, grit, resilience, whatever you want to call it. We're asking everyone this question. Do you think it is innate or can it be learned? Because you've shown it through um, all of your races. Every athlete who gets to the starting line really, yeah. you know, embodies yeah. it. I'm going to be really vague now and just say a little bit of both. Have you seen a change for yourself as well, like over the years? I have. For me, it's been a bit of a standing joke in the family in that uh, because I gave up work since we started the expat thing. The reason I got back into sports because I was bored and I wanted something to do, <laughs> which is probably not totally inaccurate. Um, I was just lucky to have the option to do the sport. I think it comes down to how you, what you want and how you see things like, so the swim on Saturday, for example. Yeah, okay, I swam. That was a team effort. I couldn't have got to the start line with the support of my family. My kids putting up with the fact that mummy was all out swimming the whole time without the physios that helped keep my shoulders intact. There's no way I would have got to the finish line if I didn't have my best friend on that boat just helping me out. So it's always a team effort. And I have to admit, two races that I've had, so the swim on Saturday and an Ironman that went horribly wrong a few years back that I genuinely thought about quitting. The thing that always kind of kept me going was like, well, what are others going to think? And it, not in the sense that I need the approval or anything like that, but it's like I've taken time away from my kids to do this. I can't not show up at home and having completed it, they're going to be, well, what'd you do? So there's always that. I feel like it takes a village. Yes, it's a singular, you know, um, it's one person taking on a challenge, but nobody's an island. It takes a village. And I look at, for example, my eldest, who if she listens to this, I'm going to be in trouble. She struggles with pushing through. If she can't do something properly straight away, she gets angry with herself and she'll give up because she just doesn't like that feeling. And I've tried many times to explain like, look, it's you're a beginner. Everybody starts from being a beginner and you need to embrace the learning that comes with being a beginner before you do this. And it's something that we're still learning. So it, seeing my daughter going through this and, and there are times where I'm thinking, oh my, you see mommy doing all these things and, you know, and yet it's not getting through. <laughs> I'm sure it is at some stage, but I think it's a combination of your environment as well at the end of the day and how you view the challenge or whatever challenge you take. And for me, it's always, I mean, they always call me a bit of a social butterfly and probably it's true, but it's not just my thing. The challenge on Saturday wasn't just my thing. I couldn't have left the kids first week of school if I didn't have a husband at home that was willing mm -hmm. to step up. Not just for my kids, but like, for, you know, for Grant's kids to take them to school because we do carpooling, for example. And, you know, I had my shoulder, for example, hasn't allowed me the last few the last few weeks to do long swims. So I've had to instead of swimming once a day, I've had to swim two, three times a day with shorter times to give my shoulder a break. That's meant Instead of me just training when my kids are at school, I'd get their dinner sorted and I'd go out and swim. So I miss their bedtime. So when I got to the point of crying and saying, I'm done with this, I can't do this anymore, it wasn't about me. Mm -hmm. I've got to show the girls that I've got to finish. That said, the deal was, and that's always the deal, I have to come home. And that was also one of the in instructions and chats we had with with my support on Saturday that... I want to get to the finish line, but I need to get home. So if at any point you as my support thinks I'm done 
and I'm not listening to you, you jump in, you get me out because I need to get home to my kids. Mm. Um, and I have to say, this is the first time in any of my challenges where I've had to have that conversation. And it was quite overwhelming at the start line to think that I've given these instructions. Yes, the finish line is the goal, but not at the expense of getting me home mm-hmm. to see my kids. So I really haven't answered the question, have I? No, I think, <laughs> no, I think you know, it's been incredibly inspiring and there's so many lessons yeah. throughout the course of the podcast and, you know, talking to you and stuff that people mm-hmm. can take away. And I think one thing, you know, it is right. It is a team effort yeah. and you never know who you're going to be affecting, Different. you know, yeah, good exactly. or bad. Good yeah, and exactly. <laughs> but like... Yeah. yeah, just to you never know. Who, you never know who's watching. Yeah, um, yeah, even even silently. Yeah. So yeah, kind of just be mindful of that, I guess. No, it's been yeah. wonderful. Thank you thank so you. much. No, thank, thank you for your time. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. No, it was wonderful. Pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.